All right, before I let Aaron have the microphone, I have a couple of things to say. Announcements, really not like <laughs> I'm going to preach. But I could preach these things. I brought my Bible so I could preach the announcements and, you know, all that stuff. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually brought this up here. This is, this is a message Bible that I actually got from a thrift store. I've had it, I don't know, like six or seven years ago. And I got it for like a dollar, <laughs> which is really awesome. It's in incredible condition beautiful shape. The reason I bring this up here is because it's a Bible that I like. Every Sunday you guys come in, we typically have a Bible reading bookmark poked into the program. I don't have them today printed for you. They are accessible online through our website. You can download the bookmark or, of course, download our app. And on the app, all you have to collect, uh, click is there's a cross right at the bottom that connects you to the day's scripture. It'll take you 10 minutes. However, I encourage you, maybe you already have a Bible that you love that's nice and marked up with, with your thoughts and the things that stuck out to you over the years. Maybe you don't have that yet. Get a Bible that you love. Mark it up. Re- get your nose in the, in the book. We want to learn here together. We want to learn at Neighborhood Collectives together. We want to learn from what Aaron has to say. But the most important thing for you to do is to own it yourself, is to read God's word, see what he's saying to you, Um, We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God that the Bible is about. But this is a great connection and a great tool to really know more and more about his kingdom and about his promises and about his peace and his freedom. So I really want to encourage you, if you're not already reading something on your own, check out our bookmark. Read along with us. This is a great reading plan. Um, It'll get you reading the whole Bible in three years. It's not much, maybe 10 minutes in a day. All right, also... Um, we want to hear from you. In, the, in those programs, which by the way, if you don't have a program, you should go get one because you need a spot to take notes because God's going to say good stuff, I promise. Um, but in the program, you'll find a couple different things. Um, and one is our connection card. And we ask you guys to fill that out, even if you've been here a bunch. We love, personally, I think our favorite thing really is to read your prayers. Um, of course, you want us, we want you to feel like you can tell us that this personally, but sometimes it's easier just to write them out. We love to pray for you. We love to feel connected to you in that way, and we love to see how God's working in your life and beyond. And so write down a prayer request. Also in the back, you'll see we have a spot. It's very tiny, so if you don't have really great eyesight, I'll apologize. I will translate from whatever the hieroglyphics look like at the bottom of that page, but it basically invites you. If there's anything that you're curious about, we love to learn here together. Write that out, because we like to know What's God leading us to, to learn about together? And then also songs. If you have any worship songs that you love, um, write them on there. We'll try to do some. We love to do stuff like that. Phil especially loves a challenge. He loves doing new stuff. Don't you, Phil? Um, let's see. Also, um, so fill out the connection card. You can drop it. There's a box on the table right out in the entryway. You can just drop it right as you go out there. But yeah, fill that out for us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, also, if you would like to support Restore Financially, we would be so grateful. Um, we love getting to do what we do, um, and we couldn't do this together if it weren't for so many com- people coming together to support this ministry financially, and we thank you for that. Um, if you're just new to us, give us some time. Or if tithing and offering is an issue, if you feel like God's calling you to give elsewhere, do that. It's God's money. You decide where you see God moving, and you put that money toward that. Um, but you can go to our website if you'd like to be giving and supporting Restore. If you feel the, the Lord moving, um, go to www.wearerestore.com, and you can click on Give, and it will take you to a page where you can set that up. Um, 
Let's see. Also, neighborhood collectives. This is something we just started. This is new. Um, and it's really beautiful to see how things are forming. Currently, we have two neighborhood collectives. We meet kind of every other week. In your program, I included a little bit of a handout that has the dates of the rest. We have three more neighborhood collectives through the summer. Then we stop, we take a nice long break, and then we start again and do another session of them in the fall. Uh, We are praying to start two new groups, so if you feel led to host, let us know. We would love that, and we try to make it as lightweight as possible. If this is something you want to check out, please do. We have groups that meet Sunday nights and Monday nights, um, and that's a, we meet again next week. If you're interested or have more questions, you can talk to Aaron and I or any other other leaders that are here, hosts, excuse me, or fill out your connection card. We'll connect with you. We'll find a way to connect you with the Neighborhood Collective. Um, also, this is big, ESL. This is uh, something Aaron has been talking about for, for a few weeks. We have the privilege of coming alongside a group of refugees, really, who are trying to live in this place. And they want to learn English. And we have the ability to teach them. And, it, and as I've been told, even the, those of us who don't speak Spanish should have no issue in our problem. There's a curriculum already. We need your help. This ESL starts this Wednesday night, June 12th. Um, we've got anywhere from 20 to 40 refugees interesting in learning English. We are putting the final pieces together of a four-week workshop that will start June 12th. As I said, even if you've never done anything like this, you can handle it. Wednesday night, starting June 12th, 7 p.m., will go to about 8.30 or 9. You don't have to sign up for every week. Sign up for one. That's, that's great if that's what you can do. This is a perfect opportunity to come near to those who have been marginalized, which is what we're all about here at Restore. We want to continue following God's leading in that. It's also a very practical opportunity to help them as they start to restart their lives here in a place that's so new to them. Last but not least, Student Ministry is launching. This is a long time coming. Praise God. We've been praying. Yeah, that's right. Yes. We have Ian Howard and his wonderful wife who has been, been incredibly supportive, and they have done some really great dreaming and planning already. And as a parent with a kid who's going to be part of that little youth group at this point, I'm blown away already at how God is at work. Um, But we need your voice. We have a hangout right after service today. Listen, even if you are not going to become a youth leader, whatever, we just want to hear your thoughts on student ministry because we try to form this. If you could stay after, we're going to have pizza. We're going to try and meet in this room. If we have too many people, we'll probably go downstairs, but just plan on meeting here. Pizza, just some conversation about student ministry. So bring your horror stories if you have them. That's okay, too. We want to hear it because we want to... My kids are going to be in there, so keep it clean. Um, but really, we do want to hear your thoughts. If you're not able to attend the meeting, but you have some thoughts, send or talk to Ian or send them his way, email him, whatever you'd like to do. <sighs> I have to step away from the microphone now. This is too fun, though. All right. Well, toodaloo. Here is Aaron Thomas. Yay, Aaron. I've got some youth ministry horror stories. I could go for a while. I'll give you one tip, Ian. Don't ever have an open mic night with teenagers. Don't do it, man. It's not worth it. <laughs> I was part of, those, part of that one time, against my will. It was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. All right. 
Um, I've been reading this book recently called The Sports Gene um, by David Epstein. I'm really, I'm getting in, we're in the thick of like Little League baseball season with my oldest son. So we kind of live at the baseball fields on the weekends. I'm not in seminary right now. And when I'm not in seminary, I get to read what I want to read. And I want to read about sports. So that's what I want to read about. And uh, it's a really fascinating book. It's actually a bestseller. It's uh, like the subtitle of the book is The Science of Athletic Performance. And this author, I've only read the first four or five chapters, but he's doing a deep dive into all these different sports and what makes up athletic performance. How, how do we measure this? How can you might, maybe you can see the signs of this to come. It's just a really interesting read. And one of the chapters is on Major League Baseball players. And I'm a baseball nut. And I found this chapter in particular very fascinating. And one of the common traits, Kevin's back there like, yeah, let's speak my language. Kevin's a baseball sports agent. So he's like, preach. Um, one of the common traits found in Major League Baseball hitters is that most of them have 2010 vision. I did not know this. That's less than 1% of people, I think, have 2010 vision. Just natural, not corrected. Did you know that, man? All right, you got to put that on your, like, draft manifesto, like when you guys are trying to sign players. Um, I didn't know that either. Now, that's not the only factor, obviously, that plays into someone being a Major League Baseball player. But to So now I want to get my son's vision tested because the other – like <laughs> – a year ago, he asked me, Dad, you think that I'll be able to play baseball at the University of Notre Dame, which is a D1 school, great program, and, I'm, and Carrie was sitting next to me, and I was like, son, there's less than a 1% chance, and she was like, oh, and I'm like, what, do you want me to, do you want me to be real, or do you want me to just lie to him, and, there, and, and now I have the statistics to back this up, that this is, it's true, and I don't know if he has 2010 vision, uh, but it's just one of many factors, you know, to, to being a Major League Baseball player. So for any of us who have tried a sport or tried to win or attain something, we've all done that, whether it's a job, uh, a degree, um, a competition. At some point, we've all experienced the taste of losing or someone telling us you're not good enough to go on to the next level or to succeed at this or to get this job. We've all had that happen, and the, the world kind of operates in that kind of machine of uh, the world tends to close itself off to people, one person at a time. And that such is the nature of competition, such is the nature of the world. Even though we live in what I, I've kind of deemed the land of tolerance um, here in, in the Washington, D.C. area, I have a sneaking suspicion, more than that probably, that many people who claim to be open, uh, they're not really so much. They're open if you agree with them or if you have the same perspectives, but they're not open to, to difference. And I can say this out a lot of, a per, a lot of personal experience because many times in the midst of a conversation, I have seen the friendliness disappear from the face of the person I'm talking to the minute that they find out I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was at a park with my kids and I, I was talking to this other father. Our kids were playing together and... Um, we, we actually we had a great conversation. It was just kind of like a natural chemistry. We were talking about, we found lots of commonality, talking about stuff. He was new to the neighborhood. I'm like, hey, we're having a Super Bowl party this Sunday. I invited him and his family, and they actually showed up, and it was going really well. I could tell they were having a really good time connecting with our neighbors and stuff, meeting new people. Our kids were playing. And I was in the conversation with someone else, and I, 
and they they were about 10 feet away having a conversation with my neighbor and I didn't see it but I heard it and I heard my neighbor out me uh, and carry as pastors of a church and I didn't see the reaction but internally I was like oh like well, how's this gonna go over less than five minutes later they were gone they just disappeared gone from the party never heard from him again just ghosted texted him like hey we're doing this we're doing that no response and I'm like wow all right uh, so that's just one example but that's happened a lot um, in the land of tolerance and I've talked about this before that tolerance is this cheap shallow hurtful imitation of grace uh, it's what people want without Jesus it's like well let, let's create our own version of grace but it's not possible without the Holy Spirit and I'm just as prone to this as well all right I, I have my own perspectives my own philosophies and if you don't agree with them I have a really hard time being tolerant especially if it's a baseball thing uh, <laughs> As anybody who's watched me coach a baseball game has find out, I have very strong opinions about the game, and I'm not afraid to share them. And so I, we all struggle. Um, there's a cycle that plays out in our culture, though, and it begins with tolerance, which, it, which is the noun version of the verb tolerate. So to tolerate means to kind of put up with someone or something that you don't agree with or that makes you uncomfortable. It infers distance. Like you're going to tolerate. You've got to create a, a certain level of emotional or physical distance in order to tolerate someone or something so when we when we create this physical or emotional distance ignorance begins to form it takes root, which leads to prejudice and then prejudice leads to hate and as jedi master yoda says hate always leads to suffering and it's an actual thing that we see play out in our culture constantly it starts with tolerance it goes to ignorance prejudice hate suffering may take years to get there but it's a cycle that we're invited and almost forced to participate in. And I've talked about this cycle before, uh, because as humans, it's a constant temptation to close ourselves off to someone or something. And one of the critical aspects of Christ's nature is his openness. Like Jesus's habits of constantly opening himself up to God and to others, sometimes, many times, even to the detriment of his own well-being. And each time we see him exhibit this much-needed aspect, this openness, it changes people's worlds. So just a few scriptural examples here. So the first one, Luke chapter 8, verses 41 through 48. Jesus is doing his thing. He's drawn the crowds, and then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Jesus said, who touched me? Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him, and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus was running an errand when this occurred. He was on his way to do something. You know how locked in you get 
when you're doing something, whether it's cooking a meal or sending an email and someone interrupts you and you, it's hard to not respond negatively to them. And that's like, I pity the soul that walks into the kitchen when Carrie Thomas is making a meal. Like I, you are banned. Do not interrupt. Do not enter that realm. Jesus isn't cooking a meal or sending an email. He's on his way to raise a girl from the dead. And the crowd is in his way. And this woman breaks the law, breaks Old Testament law in front of a crowd. So this is like an automatic invitation to be stoned in Jewish law. Not only does she violate law, she does it to a rabbi of all people. It, it, it could not be, um, there could not be a much worse offense for a first century Jewish woman. And she did it. And Jesus has every reason to close himself off to what just happened. And instead, he opens it completely up to this act of de- desperation to the point of, he's like, don't care if a law was violated. Your faith has made you well. So that's one aspect. Last week, we talked about the fact that our church practices open communion, meaning whenever we celebrate, like we just took the bread and the cup, whenever we celebrate and remember who Jesus is, we invite everybody to the table. We don't put any pre-qualifications on it. We don't put any conditions. We say, hey, if you want to celebrate, you're invited to the table. We, we do this because this is how Jesus did it. So among other characters at the dinner table of the Last Supper, there's a former political assassin, Simon. There's a former Roman tax collector, Matthew. His right-hand man, Peter, would deny him hours later. And then there's Judas, invited to the table, the man who would sell him out to his own death. Jesus was open to all of them being at the table. Everyone was invited. So this pattern of deeply personal openness continues in Scripture. Um, Later that night, after the Last Supper, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knows about his impending torturous death. And he's come, it's coming soon, and he's pleading with God the Father in this moment of desperation to release him from this commitment of going through with this. So we, we pick it up in Luke 22, verses 39 through uh, 44. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, and he went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. We see Jesus open to those who are broken. We see him intimately open to his closest friends and followers, and we see him radically open to his father, to the point of, I will die. Like, I, I will go to my death if that's what your will is. So in Restore, in our church, we, we kind of nickname this rhythm. We, we say up, in, out. It's like a shape that we talk about in our discipleship puddles. Up, in, out. Up describes this trend, this holy openness that Jesus constantly exhibits with God the Father. It's always open up to the Father's will in his life. Um, in, representing the openness to, to his friends and followers, the people who are following him around. He's always available. He's always ready to interact. He's ready for the wom- this woman. He's walking through the crowd and out representing openness to those who aren't connected to him yet. All right, people who are curious or who don't know him. He's always ready. He's willing and open. So Jesus has the perfect rhythm and openness in all three areas. Up and out, it doesn't get any better than him. He is God after all. 
we tend to close ourselves off to one or more of these depending on our life circumstances, our emotional circumstances. And we tend to do this. I don't know if you guys are like me. Maybe you're not. I tend to do this, and I just keep plugging forward. I just keep doing life and kind of ignoring the signs, the, the lack of openness, the, 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 the mental or emotional or physical closed-offness that begins to take shape in my mind and my heart, and I just keep going through life trying to you know, get tasks done and do things and just ignore this kind of in, impending closeness that is happening, not recognizing the void. But as I stated earlier, and this is the reason I brought tolerance up as an example, is when we start closing ourselves off to holy pathways, to these holy rhythms of up, in, and out, it's inherently dangerous to us and to others. It leads to suffering 100% of the time. I was thinking about this again last night, um, and it was actually a pretty significant kairos for me as I was sitting at my dining room table kind of reading through these notes. Um, a kairos is this Greek word for time, and there's two words for time in the New Testament. There's chronos and there's kairos. Chronos is chronological time. Kairos is a moment in time when, when God is speaking to you. And that's what I felt last night as I was thinking about this. And there was, I typed this sentence, when I'm not open in a specific area of my life, up, in, or out, I tend to exhibit sinfulness toward that particular sacred connection. Think about that for you. Because I, th I think this is true. When you're not open in a specific area of your life, you tend to exhibit sinfulness toward that particular sacred connection. So for each of us, sinfulness is exhibited in very personal ways, different ways. We, we all have different weaknesses. Like Kind of like when you're down, um, you have a particular show that you watch and a particular snack that you eat. For me, it's Seinfeld and cookies. For you, it might be The Office and Doritos. But we all have our go-to food. Well, we all have our go-to sins, like our weaknesses that we just kind of give into when these... Um, when we're closed off in an up and in or an out area. So, like, when I'm not praying uh, or reading scripture or actually having a Sabbath day, I take a day off every week, but there, there are weeks where I, I would not call it a Sabbath. I, I'm just kind of, like, zoned out and not doing anything. When I don't, when I don't do that, those things, I tend to exhibit anger toward God. Like, him and I have very hard conversations about the way things are, either in my life or in the world. I say lots of mean things to him. If I close myself off to Christian community, and my Christian community is mostly Restore Church, um, this is my most sacred Christian community, and my most, the one I'm most active in, and when I close myself off to that, and we can all fake it, can't we? I can fake community. All right, we can all do that. Adults learn how to do that real quick, don't we? Kids don't. Kids are real. But I can, f when I close myself off to real, authentic Christian community, and I'm talking about where we talk about real stuff and we open our lives up to one another, I tend to get judgmental if I don't do this regularly. Of my Christian community, I exhibit prejudice mentally most of the time toward people. And if I close myself off to those who are hurting and broken, people who don't know Christ or who are wounded and maybe don't realize it, um, I can be judgmental and angry toward them, finding ways to blame them for 
again, stuff going on in the world, stuff going on in my neighborhood, in the kids' school, or how it affects me personally. I'm really good at, at that, of judgment and anger and shaming. Like, and, and most of the time this takes place in my head and in my heart. Sometimes it comes flying out. Um, so ask yourself, do you recognize the warning signs in yourself? Think about your go-to comfort sins. All right, which area are they tied to? Is there a void with up? Is there a void within or is there a void without? Maybe it's one, maybe it's all three. Have you closed yourself off in some way to a particular sacred connection? Now, our communal rhythms and restore as a church, we, we try to build this rhythm into our community. Um, Sunday worship is time with up and in. Neighborhood collectives are time with up, in, and out. And we also work with refugees, which is a big focus on out, on, on meeting people who are broken, hurting, and marginalized. So those are our communal rhythms that we're constantly saying, hey, come be a part of this. Sunday worship, neighborhood collective, refugee work. And that's kind of the rhythm we try to keep. But you have to think about this from an individual rhythm as well. So maybe your communal rhythm is off. Maybe there's also individual rhythms that are off, that are causing you to be closed off. Now, it would be real practical if we could have amazing self-awareness and self-motivation, and we could notice where we're off on up, in, and out, and where where there needs to be like, it's like a spreadsheet, like you just adjust a decimal point, and then everything just boom, 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 falls into line, and everything's back to normal. We don't have that, do we? Life is not like that. We are not self-aware all the time, and even if we are, we struggle with maybe the motivation to actually move and to do something about it. So oftentimes, it, maybe it's this lack of self-awareness, meaning pride and ego, which every one of us has. Those are essentially scar tissue covering up what God might be trying to open up and heal. Or maybe you are aware of the weaknesses, like I mentioned, and maybe it's mental illness, which is a very real thing in our culture. Maybe simply getting out of bed in the morning sucks every ounce of energy you have. And you're like, I got up, I got dressed, and I even showered. And boom, I'm done for the day. Like, I, I'm, I'm rolling. And that's all the energy you've got left in the tank. And the, and the thought of, like, adjusting your rhythm of time with God, time with Christian community, or time with the broken and the marginalized is like, nope, I can't even, like, mentally go there, or I will just collapse back into bed. So I bring all that up because that's how I have felt for around four years. And it's kind of been like this, you know, peaks and valleys. The last 12 to 15 months have been really particularly hard for me mentally. And like I said, I can fake it pretty well most of the time. Um, But I have just found it intensely difficult to want to engage in any of these areas up in or out any of them and i've can i've been meeting with my counselor more regularly um but additionally on the advice of my wife carrie and then the other pastors in restore i'm i also met with my doctor about depression and three weeks ago i started medication which i've never done in my life i've never taken it um and i know it's not the whole solution but it is part of the part of the rhythm is off and it is part of that I know I need it. It's one of the ingredients that will help me open to be open again to these holy connections that Christ reveals to us in the New Testament. So I hope you will consider your life 
Like, how have I closed, you know, think to yourself, how have I closed myself off? What am I willing to open myself up to? And in the words of Mother Teresa, refuse him nothing. You know, I think, you know, I just constantly come back to that story of Jesus in the garden. And I remember that's our king who begged God in the garden to take the crucifixion away. But he ultimately opened himself up to death even. And that's our example. And that's the type of openness he calls us to. And that's the type of openness we actually have the power to exhibit because we have his spirit living within us. It is possible, even in those moments or those months or even the, maybe the years where it doesn't seem like it, it's, it is there. The spirit lives and moves and breathes and pulls us deeper. And it's, um, it's a sacred part of our journey. And so uh, I, I want to close in prayer. We're going to pray over our I want to pray over the up and out of our community as a church, and I want to pray over each of you individually, and then we're going to sing one more song.